0: Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. So I uh, tried to find something in uh, all of our boxes and things that I thought I had stowed away. But I think I threw them all away. How many of you are uh, old enough to remember um, when you went on a trip, you had to take a map that you unfolded that covered the whole front of the car, you know, so you couldn't see where you were going while you were looking at the map. And then after you unfolded that map, you had to figure out how to fold it back together. Anybody remember those maps? Okay, Emily even, you know, I figured that they didn't have maps like that for people as long, young as Emily, so, okay, you were very young. You kind of remember your dad stumbling over it, like, what's, your, what's dad doing? Why is, he, why is he putting that across the windshield like that, you know? And, and so, um, obviously, we used, when, we, when we came across the country in 1996 and moved from uh, California to Toledo, Ohio, I don't know how many of you remember this. AAA used to have these things called triptychs. You remember those? So you get this little booklet, and it's like it's about this thick. You know that we we just kept whipping through to find out where we were supposed to go next, and most of the time it was accurate. But that was all we had to depend on. And I'll tell you that I had a couple of experiences in my life because I could have used the GPS we have today because I ended up on a few one-way streets going the wrong way. And then you remember when GPS first started, and and it's still on our GPS on our phones, but you remember when it first started, and it was kind of disconcerting because as soon as you would get in the wrong place or be going the wrong direction, I remember my first Garmin GPS thing in the car, and it starts going, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. I was like, I don't even know where the heck I am. What are we recalculating, Right? I mean, that's the experience that we've had. And then there's the coolest thing I just found out about. We found out on our trip back from uh, Grand Rapids. Did you know that you can put on your Google Map where a speed trap is? I mean, in case you need it. I, I, I don't know why you would need it. I don't need it. Kathy needs it because she drives faster than I do. But, but on the Google Maps, all of a sudden, we noticed speed traps. And we found out that you can put that on there so you can let people know that there's a speed trap. And it's accurate. It's accurate. I mean, you come around a curve in Pennsylvania, and all of a sudden, there's a state trooper sitting right there. And so, uh, thank God for GPS. You know? You know? So, um, I got got stopped one time in Redding, California with a a youth group. We were trying to get to a concert, and we were in Redding, in California, in, Calif- in that area, you're basically going downhill for several miles. And so it's hard to keep the car. And that was when we had the gas crisis. Now I'm really dating myself, but we had the gas crisis. And, um, you know, we're going, uh, we're trying to stay at 55 miles per hour because that was the speed limit. Anybody remember that? And so I'm trying to stay at 55, and they were stopping. Anybody that hit 59, they were stopping them. And I got pulled over with a whole group of youth from our church, and uh, the guy, the, the high patrolman says, where are you going? Now, this is his theology, so just bear with me. I, I said, he says, where are you going? I said, I'm taking all these kids to this Christian concert. He says, oh, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian too. You know, you, you need to slow down. He says, you need, you need to slow down so that, uh, so that you don't die before the rapture. It's like, I wanted to say, well, I don't believe in a rapture. But anyways, he gave me the speed ticket, and uh, it was embarrassing. But, yeah, even after all that, he did give me a ticket. So, um, so the reason I want to talk about maps and all of that is because last week I started talking about how a lot of times in our life, personally, Our families, sometimes in the church, we feel like we're in the middle of a wilderness. And uh, maybe you feel like that right now, but uh, I want to talk about how we navigate our way through the wilderness in certain situations. And I think it's pretty clear for all of us that to make it through the wilderness, um, we are all totally dependent on God leading us through every part of the journey. And if we take our eyes off of Him, or if we try to blaze the trail on our own idea of where we need to go, uh, it's not that we're just going to get lost. It's we're going to end up in the wrong place in our relationship to God and our relationship to other people. And it's, it, it, it creates all sorts of serious situations in our life. Somebody has said that we don't need as much confirmation as we think we do. What we mainly need is we need Him, and we need to follow Him. And we have all the tools at our disposal, and how many times we think, oh, I don't need to check GPS. I don't need to check the map. I know how to get there. You know, I realize for the men in the crowd, we never like to ask for directions. And so we don't depend on those things. But when it comes to finding our way through the wilderness, there are examples in the Scripture especially as the Israelites were trying to find their way from the wilderness to the promised land, where there were clear examples of direction given to them. But what God does for us, as He did for the Israelites, is to get us to the wilderness. He's not just showing us how to get to the promised land. He's training us so that we better understand how to navigate the promised land when we get to that place. And so, at the end of Exodus... As the Israelites are getting ready to go into the wilderness and find their way to the promised land, and you don't need to turn to this passage, I just want you to hear what the setting is as we get ready to journey with the Israelites into the wilderness. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord being His presence. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. So the good news for us as we are in a wilderness is the same as it was for the Israelites. The good news is that God always provides a way for us in the wilderness. And as we learn to follow His lead, it prepares us for the promised land. And it prepares us for the fulfillment of the promises that He's leading us to benefit from. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to look at the screen and turn to Numbers chapter 9, and I think regardless of the fact that we use the PowerPoint, I think I'm going to say until I quit preaching, look in your Bibles. So whether you're looking at your phone or looking at the screen or just looking at a hard copy of the Bible, Numbers chapter 9, And I want you to look at this passage from verses 15 to 23. As the Israelites were trying to find their way through the wilderness and be mindful of the fact that as they were following the Lord's lead, it was the Lord that was leading. All of us at different times in our life grow very impatient when He's not leading as fast as we think He should lead us. We grow impatient when... um, we have to wait longer than we want to. And then we get confused because sometimes he's leading us to places and we're not so sure if he knows what he's doing. Anybody ever wonder if God knew what he was doing? So on that day, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And in the evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud lifted over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Now, how many of you think that maybe a few people decided to set out on their own? How many of you would be one of those persons that say, You know what? I'm kind of tired of waiting for this cloud to move, so how about if we just do a little bit of exploring and move out? But the instructions were very, very clear. You don't move until the cloud moves. You don't move until the pillar of fire moves. Verse 20 says, Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord they remained in the camp, then according to the command of the Lord they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night... When the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days, a month, or a longer time, that cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there. The people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out, but when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses." Now let me make a couple of comments or a few comments about these circumstances in this setting. We don't have any idea how large this cloud was. We don't know what the pillar of fire looked like. We don't know how high it was. We don't know how far away you could see it. And so I don't think that everyone could see it from whatever position they were in as clear as others in the camp. We're talking about thousands of people moving at the same time. The other thing is I don't think all the people were sitting there going like this. Trying to drink and eat. Hey, how you doing today? Cloud hasn't moved for a while, has it? I don't think they were all sitting there looking at the cloud and the fire and wondering what was happening. So that means they probably were communicating with one another. They probably had family groups. Maybe the, the groups of 50 they had divided up into. There was someone in charge of that 50 that says, Hey, everyone, let me get your attention. The cloud's moving. The, fire, the pillar of fire is moving. It's time for us to move on. And the thing about the cloud or this pillar of fire was several things. It was a manifestation of God's presence. It was a gift of God. It was representative of heaven to earth. In fact, I think it probably extended far up into the heavens so you you could see the fire as far as you could see. You could see the cloud as far as you could see. The other interesting thing is the pillar was not given until the Hebrews were delivered from Egypt. They didn't have the pillar of fire. They didn't have the cloud in Egypt. They had it when they were in the wilderness. They were they had it when they needed to know where they were heading to get to the promised land. It's kind of interesting if you think about the pillar of fire or the cloud being the presence of God and also the Holy Spirit representing the Holy Spirit. The disciples received the Holy Spirit when? After Jesus ascended to heaven. They didn't didn't need the Holy Spirit until Jesus ascended to heaven. And so, after the Israelites get out of Egypt, it's like the church has started, in a sense. And the Holy Spirit comes down and begins to direct them and tell them and give them instruction when it was time to move on and which direction to go. Another thing is that the pillar of fire or the cloud was an affirmation of God's perfect timing. It moved when it was His determination, His sovereign will... It's time to move. There are several reasons why it would move. Maybe there were Amalekites. Maybe there were Hittites that were gathering to bring some kind of attack against the Israelites. And so God moved them for their protection. Maybe it was because it was time to get to a different place where there was going to be water and there was going to be uh, sustenance for them. But it was always according to God's perfect timing and His plan. The other thing is the pillar of fire led the way through the wilderness. And in the same way, we don't always get to choose our path. He's the one that chooses the path we will take. But the one thing that we can all be grateful for is we know that He's faithful to lead us well as He was faithful to lead the Israelites. And notice that He leads them. He doesn't drive them. He leads them like a shepherd leading his sheep. He's not driving them, but the fire, the pillar of fire begins to move out, and we begin to follow. The cloud begins to move out, and we begin to follow. And we know that there were some that decided not to follow. In fact, there's a description in Deuteronomy that says this, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who lagging, lagged, were lagging behind you and did not fear God. So there were some people that were lagging behind, and as the crowd began to move, as the people began to follow the pillar of fire, there were some that because of weariness and because of stubbornness and whatever reasons, they stayed back. And as a result, they got picked off by the enemy. It's a good example of why it's so important for us to watch out for one another. To pick up someone when they're weary and tired. So they don't get picked off by the enemy. But the other thing is that the pillar of fire led them until they reached the promised land. It was with them until they reached where God had intended for them to be. And then things began to change. The purpose of the pillar of fire and the cloud in the wilderness was to teach the Israelites how to trust and follow God into the promised land and then once they got in the promised land to learn how to continue to be aware of his presence without the need for the pillar of fire and without the need for the cloud. Now what's underneath the pillar of fire and the cloud? You can answer that for me. Help me out. From what we looked at in the verses I read at the end of Exodus, what we looked at numbers, what's underneath this pillar of fire and this cloud? The tabernacle, and what's in the tabernacle? The ark of the covenant. What else is there? Kind of important things. The presence of God. But what items are in that tabernacle? Ten commandments. the The showbread, the 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 uh, the laver. There was a place for sacrifice. All of those things were in the tabernacle. So. What they were following was not just the pillar of fire and the cloud. They were following the Ark of the Covenant. They were following the presence of God that existed over that place. That's where the glory of the Lord existed. But something changes when they get in the Promised Land. The glory of the Lord doesn't lift, but the manifestation of His glory changes. So He's preparing them for a new season. He's preparing them when things are going to be different. It's kind of like a new wineskin, so or, or new wine, so that they can understand how things are different. It doesn't mean God's purpose. It doesn't mean God's presence. It doesn't mean that God's will is not there. It just means He's showing up in a different way. And so the wilderness time that we find ourselves in is to learn how to follow Him to learn to go whatever direction He's taking us so we know that we're in His presence. We never want to be outside of His presence. But then when He changes the process, when He changes where we're headed, it's not just the manifestations we're always looking at, it's the presence of God. It's what Okay, the pillar of fire is gone, the cloud has gone, but where is His presence? Oh, there's His presence. There's where His glory is resting right now. And so I want to show you how that changed. So if you turn to Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. They're in the promised land. And it says, Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they set out from Shatim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel. And they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officer went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. What are they supposed to look for? Does it say anything about the fire? Does it say anything about the cloud? It simply just says, Whenever they see the Ark of the Covenant, that's where they need to head, and they need to follow that Ark. Verse 4: Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people, because now the people knew they see the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, that's where God's going. Because they had learned to follow Him with the pillar of fire and the cloud. In verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of, jo- of the Jordan, you shall stand there, stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the pe- people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Kirg- Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. I practice that in about 15 minutes all, every day this week. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. That's just to let you know that this was not shallow. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. At Adam, the city that is beside Sarathen, and those flowing down from the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. What was their cue to pass over opposite Jericho? It was the Ark of the Covenant. They watched it. And they followed it until they got to the other side. Verse 17 says, Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This time, there was no pillar of fire. There was not a cloud. We don't even know if there was a cloud in the sky. But there was one thing for sure. So the question becomes for all of us, How familiar are we with the Lord's presence? Some of us need the pillar of fire. Some of us need the cloud. And we don't know when He's going to change the dynamic. That's His call. But when He manifests Himself, in whatever way He chooses to show up in His presence, we need to tune our guitars or our pianos or our drums, or whatever, to His presence so that we are in tune with whatever He is doing in His season, in His timing, in His purpose. So that whenever He moves into a different direction, we move in unison with Him as well. No pillar of fire, no cloud, there was just the Ark of the Covenant. And the Israelites had repeatedly seen God come through when they followed the fire. They repeatedly saw Him come through when they followed the cloud. And based on the fact they'd seen Him come through so many times, this time, they didn't need the pillar of fire. They didn't need the cloud. All they needed was the presence of God manifested in the Ark of the Covenant. And to know if we're growing up in the Lord, to know if we're maturing, we don't always need to have all the bells and whistles. We don't need to have everything just line up. As we grow in the Lord, what happens, the way we know if we're maturing in the Lord is that we can can step out and we can take more risk in situations even when it doesn't seem like everything's lining up because we can tell the presence of the Lord is there. We can tell the Ark of the Covenant is right in the vicinity where we're headed. And we don't have to worry. We don't have to become concerned because we can step out knowing that He will be with us. They had to trust Him, what they had learned about His character, to lead them and to guide them, and to be with them, and to not fail them. And so that's how they stepped out. Now I want to uh, begin to wrap, wrap up what I'm going to say today with a story that comes from a, a book called Everybody Always. The author, is the name is Bob Goff. Great storyteller, Christian that does just amazing things for the Lord. And he's uh, also a pilot. And he tells a story in this book about renting a plane. Anybody read anything by Bob Goff? He tells a story about renting a private plane. We're talking about one of those little single propeller Cessna type planes. And uh, he was getting ready to land the plane. And he says in his book when he was landing, he was looking for three green lights to assure that the landing gear was down. Two green lights representing the rear tires and one green light representing the, the landing gear in the nose. He says, I pulled the lever and I could hear the wheels rotating into position. And then something happened I wasn't counting on. I only got two green lights, one for each of the back two wheels. I had two green lights for the back two wheels. There was no green light for the nose gear. So he says, I called the tower. Tower, I don't think I have a nose wheel. The tower said, copy. Please fly by the tower to get a visual on your landing gear. He did that twice. But the tower said, it's too dark. I can't tell if the nose gear is down. After two trips past the tower, the controller could not assure him the nose gear was down, and so he had no choice but to attempt something he had never done. He was going to have to land the plane whether he had a nose wheel or not. He says, I finished my approach and I passed first white lines on the landing strip. It was time for me to prepare for touchdown. I brought the plane down as slowly as I could with the nose of the plane as high as possible. I closed my eyes briefly and exhaled. It was time to see what would happen. The plane floated closer to the ground and the rear wheels touched down. As the nose of the plane came down, I found myself counting down. Three, two, one. When I reached zero, there would be either be a lot of propellers hitting a lot of concrete or a small bounce indicating the front wheel was locked. Either way, I was a bystander at that point. I reached zero in my mental countdown. There was a bounce. The front wheel was there. I started hooping and hollering and laughing. Get this, he says. It turned out what had me all twisted while I was in the air was a burned out five cent light bulb. And then he goes on to say life, especially life in the wilderness, is like that. We have just enough to know which way to go or what we need to do. We have the presence of God, but we don't have all the lights that we need. And we can tell that God's with us. And we can just sometimes barely tell He's with us. But we're saying, okay, I'm going, Lord. I'm pretty sure you're here. But I'm going. And then how many times we step into that place and we realize the landing gear is there as surely as His presence is there. And God may not always give us the green lights that we want, but we can be confident that He gives us the green lights that He wants us to have at the time. And so sometimes we have to just go with what we've got. And if God wants you to stay put, He will let you know if you need to stay put. If He wants you to move, He will let you know if you need to move. It's, It's the place then that this becomes our responsibility. Our responsibility is simply to pay attention to His presence. Spend time in His Word. Spend time in worship. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with others who are seeking God as well. And we have the assurance that much like what happened to Bob Goff when he was flying flying the plane, much like what happened to the Israelites, God is always faithful to reveal His glory and His presence if we are faithful to turn our attention to His presence and to follow where He leads us. It works that way every time. And the longer you find your way through the wilderness and get to that place, the greater your faith of knowing that God has come through before and I know He's going to come through again. I want to read to you, to close with this, the Passion Translation of the Lord's Prayer. Because I love the way it it expresses the Lord's Prayer in the beginning section. Pray like this. Our Father dwelling in the heavenly realms... May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Where is His presence? Where is His name? I put my foot right there, and that's where I turn. There's His presence. I put my foot there. That's where I turn. And then it goes on to say, Manifest your kingdom realm, and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth, just as it is fulfilled in heaven, We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with the power and the glory forever. Amen. All of us have issues in our life individually. We're trying to make a lot of decisions for our church. We're trying to make decisions even about our Sunday mornings and being as effective as we can to experience the Lord's presence. You know, you realize it's not about how big the chairs are. It doesn't matter if we have chairs or pews. Well, maybe that matters to some people. I'm not sure, but it doesn't matter which direction they're going. It doesn't matter if the chairs are joined in the middle or they're in a semicircle it may not even matter if you have a cup of coffee in your hand while I'm up here I don't know but what you know what matters the most you know what I'm going to say what matters the most is whether his presence is here that's all that really matters because we can make do with anything we need to make do with if his presence is here I don't know about you, but I, there's some areas in my life that uh, I need the pillar of fire, and I need the cloud. There's other areas of life that I, let's just go. I'm ready to go. I know God's in it. And maybe you're the one that says, uh, when I need the pillar of fire and I need the cloud, maybe you're the one that says, it's okay. It's okay. Just we're all right. Just go. Let's go. That's why we need one another because of all the different places that we're we're at in our spiritual journey. And that's why we need one another to help teach each other how to better trust the Lord in the midst of whatever the circumstance. I was thinking this week. You know, Mark and Jackie have their new little baby. Congratulations, Grandma. VJ and Emily, soon to have a baby. I was talking to my pastor friend, James Lee, this week. They just had their second. He said, this second baby's kicking my butt. <laughs> he said, I just got released from baby prison to have coffee with the rest of us. He said, it's so different having two than it is having one. I said, that's why once you have two, Having three or four, it doesn't make any difference. You know, it's just, they all take care of each other. (laughs) 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 Uh, But the reality is, the point I'm trying to make with that is just, you know, being humorous about it, is like when James said that, I said, you know, James, you know, it's kind of like the old Jewish saying, this too soon shall pass. And you may respond, not soon enough. But you can do that when you've been in the trenches and you've gone through the journey and you've seen God show up time after time. So let's continue to encourage each other to trust Him, to take risk, to be willing to do what He says to do even though it's like everything in us is afraid, but we know one thing for sure, He's here and He's telling us this is where we need to go and then we'll get to where He needs us to be so we can be the most effective for Him. Would you stand up with me and let me just pray for us? Hold out your hands in front of you. And Lord, in a posture of receiving, we just ask You to increase our ability to trust You, to know where you're going and where you're turning. And Lord, we in our hearts, we want to renew our commitment to you to be wherever you are. We want to renew our commitment to be humble and not be stubborn when you're telling us to do something different or go in a different direction or trust you when it doesn't feel like we can trust you we let go and we lean into you and we trust you lord That at the end of the day everything will be just fine and we will get to the other side of the river and into the promised land to grab a hold of those things that you've provided for us and you've been preparing for us all along that's what we want lord that's what we pray for in your name amen I'd like to invite you to extend your hands again. And I just want to bless us this way. The Lord bless us and keep us. And make His, His, His light of His face shine upon us. And the Lord give us His grace. And may the Lord turn His face toward us. And may He give to all of us His peace. Go in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ.